Hi, Gary Zacharias with the Apologist Bookshelf. With the last podcast and this podcast, I wanted to focus on the role and value of apologetics, so I'm not looking at books right now. Uh, the rest of the podcast will do that. But I wanted to take time out and just explore apologetics in general, kind of uh, from a 30,000 feet approach to see what the, the point of apologetics is all about. So this time I'd like to let you hear from some authors, uh, professors, church leaders who have things to say about apologetics. And if you'd like these quotations, uh, just let me know. It's gary.zacharias at gmail.com. Okay, gary.zacharias at gmail.com. I'll be glad to send you the quotations here and the attributes as far as who the people are. I didn't really want to focus on the, the authors uh, right now, but you can let me know and I'll, I'll give you that information as well. So here's the first one. Here comes the quotation. The hemorrhaging of youth from our churches won't stop until we get intentional about solving the problem. On the university campus, secular college professors are very intentional about indoctrinating your kids. So, what are you going to do to prepare them for the serious challenges ahead? Now, I like that quotation a lot because look at how it's starting. It's not saying we're losing a few students. It's a hemorrhage of youth from our churches. I think I've seen statistics that suggest that after high school, something like three-fourths of all people, all young people, walk away from the church. Now, some may come back later when they start raising a family or, you know, whatever reason. Uh, it doesn't mean they're lost forever, but isn't that terrible? That's an awful uh, loss there. And the author says, we've got to get intentional about solving the problem. We can't just say, gee, what a shame. Let's hope somebody does something about it. Well, that's us. And then part of that quotation says, if you send kids off to university, you're sending them into a war zone. It says college professors are intentional about indoctrinating kids. I agree with that. I teach out at a college, and I've seen that, um, but it, it's terrible in some schools. They, they see the professors often see their role as trying to change students rather than just inform them. And uh, so serious challenges, that's uh, putting it mildly. Here's a second quotation. When you become a Christian, you do not become immune to life. You will have questions. You'll have bad days. You'll lose hope, and you'll need answers. Enter apologetics. To outsiders, this discipline answers objections. To insiders, it builds faith and promotes intellectual inquiry. If you're a Christian and feel guilty about having questions, please don't. Ask away. Build your faith. Learn whatever you can. Well, again, very powerful statement, isn't it? I like the idea that just making yourself a Christian doesn't get you away, doesn't make you immune, as it says, to life. Uh, I think Greg Kokel put it this way, apologetics prepares you for the toughest critic you're ever going to face, and that's yourself. And so uh, the person that wrote this said, to outsiders, you answer objections. Okay, that, that makes sense. But to insiders, and this is what I mentioned in my last uh, podcast, that it builds faith and promotes intellectual inquiry. I, over and over again, I heard from people in our apologetics class that they gained a lot of confidence and so it, it built up the body of Christ, and it also prepared people to interact with outsiders. And I like the, uh, the ending of this. If you're a Christian, you feel guilty about having questions, don't. Yes, I agree with that 100%. We often, 
I'm afraid that we often see each other and say, how are you doing? Oh, fine. Uh, I'm a Christian, la-di-da, everything's perfect. No, it's not. Uh, we all have struggles in our lives, and we should not feel guilty about having questions. People for 2,000 years have had questions, and they've wrestled with them, and I think Christianity answers questions better than any other worldview. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. But we've got to get the questions out. In fact, that's been one of the problems uh, that, that youth have talked about as they've walked away from the church. They said they've had questions, and they've brought them up, and people have said, oh, you just don't have enough faith. Oh, that's not important. Oh, just read your Bible more. Whatever it is, we've got to come out with the questions and wrestle with them and be able to answer them. I like that. Ask away. Build your faith. Notice uh, you can build your faith. You can move your faith. You can increase it. Here's a third quotation. We see so many believers who have only a superficial understanding of Scripture and have no basis for saying why the Christian faith is true or why he's not a Hindu or a Muslim. Without that awareness of an objective foundation for belief, they'll buy into books like the Da Vinci Code and will be much more vulnerable to the tactics of new religious movements like Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses. Because they're not biblically or theologically founded, they can become more easily confused and rattled when they read a book like Richard Dawkins' The God Delusion. Well, a lot there, isn't there? There's a lot of meat in that statement. First phrase that stuck, uh, struck me was people that only have a superficial understanding of Scripture. We don't know our own faith. Now, that's theology as well as uh, apologetics, but we don't know our own faith. We need to understand our faith. A really good book for that, by the way, a fairly short book, is by Chuck Colson. It's just called The Faith. And I think I've already done a podcast on that one. But he says, uh, this author says, they have often people have no basis for saying why the Christian faith is true. I mean, it's, it's not enough to say, I'm a Christian. I believe it because my heart tells me. Well, they need a basis that other people are going to react to <clears throat> and to say why they're not Hindu or Muslim. What are the problems with those worldviews? We often don't know worldview thinking. And he says that we have to have an objective foundation for belief. Subjective is how you feel about it, how it makes you feel on the inside, all warm and fuzzy. He says we need an objective foundation for belief. And if not, people will buy into all sorts of things that come along, like the Da Vinci Code. Uh, I've studied that extensively and I've done talks on that. Da Vinci Code was pretty tricky because it said everything in this book that talks about the uh, manuscripts and talks about the history and talks about art, that's correct. So you get the feeling that maybe all that they did in the book was to create some characters, uh, but to, to have all the factual information there. It'd be kind of like doing a World War II novel. You'd still have Hitler and Churchill and um, Monty, Montgomery, and Patton and people like that, but you could create characters. Well, that's what the book tells us, but you read the book and you find out it's full of errors about art, but who cares? What's more important, it's got errors about Christianity, huge errors about Christianity. Uh, it's a pretty devious book. And a lot of people have said, gee, I didn't know that about Jesus. Oh, I didn't know that about the New Testament. And they walked away from the faith. And this author in this quotation is saying, you've got to have apologetics so that you have objective foundation for your belief that you won't be swept into whatever the latest fad or the latest book is. 
And the other thing that this author says is people can become more vulnerable. If they don't have apologetics, they get more vulnerable to things like Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses. And you can plug in 20 different things or Scientology, uh, Christian science, and on and on. We are losing people to these different groups because they don't know what their group believes, and they certainly don't know how to compare it to other religions. And uh, people get confused and rattled, as this author says, when they come across atheist books like Richard Dawkins, The God Delusion. Notice that, The God Delusion. It's just a delusion. Really? Um, Dawkins uh, has led the charge among the new atheists and has had this book out that's had a big impact. And again, we've lost people because of that book. Here's another quotation. If we're going to be wise, spiritual people prepared to meet the crises of our age, we must be a studying, learning community that values the life of the mind. Now, that was a single sentence, but that stuck out to me. Don't we all want to be wise, spiritual people? Don't we want to have others look to us and say, man, there's a person with wisdom, not just comes to church all the time. That's a wise person. And we're going to have crises all over the place. We've got to be able to meet these crises. It seems like the last 10, 20 years, a lot of things have rolled over Christians without much of a pushback. And it says we've got to be a studying, learning community that values the life of the mind. I mean, let's think about that. How often do you encounter that in churches that you go to, where it's a studying, learning community that values the life of the mind? Often that doesn't happen. I'm so grateful for the church I go to, and there are other good churches that um, hold up apologetics as an important part of the church ministry. So I do appreciate that. Here's another uh, apologetics quotation. Contrary to the beliefs of some, faith in Christ is not blind faith and does not require us to suspend our intellectual faculties. Again, a single sentence that has a lot of punch to it. Faith in Christ is not blind faith. Amen to that. I have a talk about that. What kind of faith is Christianity? It's not a leap in the dark. Jesus, uh, and then in the Old Testament as well, the authors there push the idea of evidential faith. More like trust. You know, I almost hate the word faith because faith makes it sound like you've got no rational meaning behind it, no, no rational thought behind it. So it's really trust. We trust what Christ has done. We trust that there's a God. We trust that we... C- we can value and, and uh, appreciate the New Testament as eyewitness material. We have trust in that because we have reasons to believe it, not just hope, some kind of vague hope. So it says we need to value the life of the mind. And so I would really challenge the churches you go to, the people you interact with, see if they'll value the life of the mind. Okay, how about uh, another quotation here? Our society has abandoned the Christian worldview that participated in its founding, not because science, philosophy, or progress has demonstrated Christianity to be false, but because of the silence of so many. Ouch, that's really powerful, isn't it? Our society has abandoned the Christian worldview. Now, is that totally true? No. There are plenty of pockets of great Christians and great Christian churches and and uh, podcasts and, and all sorts of good things. That's great. But generally, you look at what's going on in Christianity, it is cutting back, isn't it, on Christianity. And he says, it's not because science, philosophy, or progress has shown Christianity is wrong. That's not it. People are not being 
confronted with evidence to show Christianity is wrong and then they walk away. No. He says we're losing Christianity in this day and age because of the silence of so many. We have a chance. We should be out there expressing the worldview, and we're not. So Christianity, by its silence, is uh, withering away in this society. A challenge to all of us. Let's do another quotation. The truth is that every believer already, whether they realize it or not, does apologetics. The question now becomes, do they want to continue to do it poorly, or do they want to do it well? Well, that kind of sums up everything we're talking about here. All of us are doing apologetics. We are making a case every day for Christianity. It may be a very weak case. It may be a thoughtless case, but we're making a case for it. We're either making people look at us and listen to our words and say, okay, that's the best they can do. Then I don't really want that. I remember uh, J. Warner Wallace, a cold case detective. He said he was an angry atheist. And when he got into his job of being a detective and he knew some other people were Christians among his fellow workers, he'd talk to them. He'd say, but why are you a Christian? And they gave such weak answers, he just shook his head. And he said, I don't want that. That isn't powerful. That doesn't do anything. There's no solidity, no foundational uh, intellectual material here. And so he walked away from it. Now, he did come back eventually to become a Christian. That's a great story. But it says... That ties in, I think, real well with what this uh, quotation was saying, that we're all doing apologetics. And the author says the question is, do you want to continue to do it poorly or do you want to do it well? And so that's my challenge to all of you. Let's do it well. Apologetics is a wonderful field to get interested in. It's rich. It's deep. It's a golden age of apologetics. We can read. We can watch YouTube videos. We can do these podcasts. We can talk to each other and uh, online and do all these wonderful things. Amazing amount of treasure that we have that we can use. So let's do it well. Let's do apologetics well. Okay, well, thanks. And uh, probably get back to more book reviews in the next podcast. Thanks for listening.